Um, so glad to be back. Um, last week I had a fun week. Went to uh, the men's retreat, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, Mike had a really, I think, great message about having funner, which I thought was awesome. Kind of a reminder, I guess, that it's, it's pretty dark out there, and we need to laugh, and we need to find the fun, and we need to regain our perspective. That's the thing that really hit me that if we can do that, if we can really get a hold of this perspective, if we can really look at life in the light of what Jesus has done for us and how much he loves for us and what our future holds for us, it makes it a lot easier to laugh our way through this life and to have real joy. And Nehemiah, I think, was right. He said that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that's really good because we're going to need it today um, for the teaching that Jesus is, you know, we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount the last few weeks. Um, Let me give you my summary of the Sermon on the Mount um, from Jesus. Um, The kingdom of God is coming. The king of that kingdom is Jesus. The citizens of that kingdom are weird. Isn't that, I mean, isn't that what we've learned? It's been two months. I think, that's, I think that sums it up. These people are weirdos, man. They, they've, they not only don't have affairs, they don't look at the opposite sex as objects for their pleasure. They see them as image bearers of God. And they not only don't kill people, which is nice, but also they don't hate people. And also, they're so full of integrity that they don't even need to take vows because everybody knows if they say it, it's true. They're weird, man. They give up their stuff. They give up their stuff for other people. And then they don't want credit for it. They're just straight up weirdos. The stuff that Jesus calls them to do is completely upside down. It's completely backwards. Um, It's like they have a whole new kind of ethics and a whole new set of morals. And every behavior that Jesus talks about is counterintuitive, right? It's like the opposite of what your intuition tells you. It's the opposite of what feels right or, or normal to us. I like that word. It's counterintuitive. It goes against our tui- intuition. It goes against the grain. It's, it's the opposite. Everything Jesus is telling us to do is the opposite of what we've always done or what we've always thought we should do or what we've been taught to do or what feels right to us. It's, it's, I love that word, it's counterintuitive. Um, saw it displayed this week, I've got a grandson, a lot of you know my grandson, Ryan, he's nine, and Ryan is a very good kid, man, really funny and sweet and smart, he's just a really good boy, but he's a big boy, and he is a strong boy. He's like a shark, like his body is just one muscle, and he's always been, He's bigger than his cousins, and he's bigger than his little brother, and he's bigger than the kids in his class. And so his whole life, you know what he's heard? Be gentle. Be gentle. We ha- you, have to, you can't just crash into people. Ryan, you know, you got to stop knocking people down, right? And so now they sign him up for football. <laughs> and the coaches are saying, don't be gentle. Don't you, you crash into people, right? You knock people down. 
And he's on the field and these coaches are telling him that and he's like looking at his parents going like, is this right? Because my whole life, right? My nine long years of life on earth, right? For nine years I've been told not to knock people down and now they're telling me it, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive, right? It goes against what I've been told. And what Jesus calls us to in the kingdom feels so backwards from what life in this world has taught us. It's counterintuitive because what's intuitive, right? What's natural for us is, yeah, just to look at people of the opposite sex as an object for our selfish pleasure. And what's intuitive for us is to really only keep our word when it's convenient and when it benefits us. And what's really natural and intuitive for us is just to hate anybody that crosses us. What's natural and intuitive for us is to hold on to our stuff. And if we ever do share anything with anybody, we want full credit for it. And that's, that's what comes naturally. That's what comes intuitively in this world. And Jesus comes along and he says, I'm bringing a new kingdom. You know, I'm bringing a new humanity. And what feels natural is going to need to change. And our tuition in this world isn't going to work in the kingdom of God. Jesus has come to change everything, starting with us and starting on the inside. And today he's going to give us, I don't know, maybe the most counterintuitive, maybe the hardest, backwardest teaching so far. And it's in Matthew 5.38. If you've got your Bibles, take a look, or your phones or whatever, we'll put it on the screen for you. Jesus says, you've heard the law. He keeps doing this thing where he says, the law says this, but I say, right? He kind of takes it up a notch. You've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So Jesus is saying, you know, the law says if somebody hurts you, they should have to pay, right? Look at verse 39. But I say, don't resist an evil person. If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court, take off your shirt, and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. And if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two miles. And this, I'm telling you, is such crazy, radical, counterintuitive teaching. I think it seems so bizarre to us and so weird to us and so impossible to us that what we usually do is we soften it. I think we like dumb it down a little bit to make it like more believable or more realistic or more doable. Like, yeah, I, I, I could do that. You know, if I'm, if I'm playing with a baby in the nursery and she accidentally slaps my face with her little hand, sure, I'll, you know, she can, I'll, she can slap the other one. You know, if, if somebody wants my shirt, come on, I got lots of clothes, you know, I can spare one of my jackets. And if somebody asks me to carry their stuff, I mean, why not? I mean, that's a good workout for me. But that is not at all what Jesus is talking about. He is talking about when someone truly hates you. Hates you. And, and you don't care that much for them either. And that person really injures you or really oppresses you or really insults you and, and not somebody nice. He says an evil person, right? An enemy. So he's, he's talking to these people, the Jewish people, and he intentionally 
pick somebody out as an example that his audience already hated and they already felt hated by, and that was these Roman soldiers. And I think it's, it's hard for us to imagine what it was like for them to live really under an oppressive government. Don't say anything. Because I mean, listen, I'm talking about a really oppressive government. They have invaded your country, and now they're imposing their laws that you had no say in, and now they're illegally taxing you into poverty, and they don't, they don't enforce their taxes with fines or jail time. They enforce their taxes with broken bones. And they can take whatever they want from you. And they can do whatever they want to you. And that's the life that Israel was living under Rome. And it was all enforced by the, these thugs, these Roman soldiers that could just do whatever they wanted to the Jews. So if you can, just try to imagine this scenario. You know, you're home and you're minding your own business, and it's Sunday afternoon, and you went to church that morning at CBCB, and worship was awesome, and the pastor had preached yet another brilliant message, and now, you know, it's a night, and, and the weather's cooling down, and you're just enjoying living like the Sabbath dream, right? And you're teaching your son how to ride his bike, and ribs are cooking on the grill, and the Cowboys are on Sunday night football in a couple of hours, and you're just having this fun family afternoon. You're waving at your neighbors. And then a platoon of soldiers marches by. And they're armed. And they knock your kid off his bike. And they dump over your grill. And they throw down their gear, their backpacks and stuff. And they demand that you carry it for them. And you're really scared, like what they might do to you, or what they might do to your kids, or what they might do to your wife. It's the absolute epitome of violence and bullying and oppression, and you're humiliated in front of your family, in front of your neighbors. And Jesus says, you're supposed to offer to help them carry it further. That's not just counterintuitive. That is crazy. Or imagine this person that wants your shirt in court is an ex-business partner that cheated you. Or it's an ex-spouse that cheated on you. And they've already taken you for everything that you have, and now they want your shirt. And Jesus says, you should offer your coat, too. Or imagine that you're in a political debate in the local coffee shop with some moron from the other party, right? And they've got an ugly bumper sticker about your candidate, and you've got an ugly bumper sticker about theirs, and you're in this coffee shop and you're having this big debate, and, and people are gathering around listening. And oh, wow, there's a news crew here filming, right? And, and you know you're right. You know you're right. And you know they are so wrong. And they're not only wrong, they are pure evil. And right in the middle of your debate, with everybody looking, they say something insulting to you, and they slap your face. What would you do? It's go time, right? <laughs> I mean, that's. But Jesus says, Turn the other cheek so they can slap it too. 
what is that? They, they slap us and they humiliate us and they sue us and steal from us. And Jesus says, we're supposed to just sit there and take it? Is that what he says? Actually, no. Jesus doesn't call us to passivity. He doesn't call us just to sit there and take it. Actually, that would be too easy for the citizens of God's kingdom. He calls us to something much harder than passivity. He calls us to action. You guys remember third grade English, right? What do we call an action word? A verb, right? That's a to run, to jump, leap, go, read, play, verb. So we're gonna do a little third grade English exercise. Um, let's put up verse 43, Matt. And it says, you've heard the law that says love your enemy, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies, pray for those that persecute you. Let's circle the imperative verbs. Let's circle the things that Jesus is asking us to do. Matt, can we circle those? To love and to pray. So let's, let's talk about this word love. Um, my guy Tim Mackey calls it one of the least helpful, most useless words in the English language. And it is, man, because it's so vague. You know, it can, it can love, can, <laughs> it can mean anything. It can mean anything. It, it, means, it means so many things that it kind of doesn't mean anything. I love lots of stuff. I love Titleist Pro V1X golf balls. I mean, I love them. I love tacos. I love my country. I love my mother. I love them all. But those are not the same word, right? Those not, that's not the same kind of love. I have a friend that I play golf with named Kevin. I love Kevin. And I love my wife, Margaret. But the feelings I have for Kevin <laughs> and the feelings I have for Margaret are radically different feelings, <laughs> right? It, love, it's a stupid word. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. Um, you've probably heard in, in biblical Greek, there's like four different words, right? And they all, they all have been translated into the word love because that's all we got. But in ancient Greece, they had a lot of words for love. And four of the famous ones, there's a word storhe. That's a kind of love. That's like a familial love. Like somebody, you, you love your family. Like you, you probably love your sister even if she's not a person that you would be friends with if she wasn't related to you, right? You probably love your cousins, even though they might not be, their character or their personality might not be somebody that you'd be attracted to be friends with, but you are friends with them because they're family. That's storhe. There's eros, which is like romantic or sexual love. This is where we get the word erotic. Uh, there's phileo, which means friendship. This is maybe, you, you feel this with people that, that you like hanging out with, uh, like Kevin, right? People that have the same interest as you. But this passage is talking about a different word that we've translated to love. And what is that Greek word? Agape. And that's probably, I guess, the highest form of love. And this is a love that says, I'm more interested in what's best for you than I am in what's best for me. It's, it's, it's not just like a warm, fuzzy feeling, right? All of our words, are, love always means like a feeling for us. Not, that's not what this is. Like, oh, I love puppies. This is, this is a love that implies action. This is a love that says, I choose to love you so much that I'm willing to do something about it. 
Um, so it's a noun. It's English lesson today, right? It's a noun, agape. It's a type of love that is demonstrated by the verb agape, which is to express that love through action. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, this is not just passively sitting there and taking it. It's, it's way harder than that. It's actively, lovingly acting in agape towards your enemy. It's saying to that soldier, I'm so sorry that you have to carry that heavy thing. Let me, can I, could you do me a favor? Can I carry it even farther for you? It's, I'm sorry that you sued me for my shirt, the last thing that I own, but man, if you're cold, if you're struggling, can, can, I, can I give you my jacket too? It's saying, I don't know why you feel like you needed to slap me in the face right in front of everybody, but if that's what you need, then please hit me on the other side. Passivity would be much easier, right? Just taking it would be much easier. This is about acting in agape love. And Jesus says we should agape our enemies, our enemies, so much that we pray for them. I mean, can you imagine praying for that Roman soldier? Praying for that ex-business partner that cheated you and sued you? Praying for that ex-spouse that hurt you? Praying for that political enemy that slapped your face? Can you imagine praying for them? And I know some of you are saying, oh, I pray for my enemies all the time. I just, dear Jesus, you know, I'm praying for my enemy right now. They've intentionally persecuted me and they've hurt me and humiliated me and lied about me. They're ruining my country. They're ruining my life. And so I just pray in your perfect time, God, that they would be struck by lightning and hit by a bus. <laughs> and, but first, God, let them be sprayed by a skunk. Let them get head lice in their hair and chiggers in their drawers. God, just... <laughs> Let them be constipated and have diarrhea <laughs> right up until the day that they die a slow, painful, miserable death and are eaten by maggots. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> and I have to tell you, I don't, I don't think that's praying in Jesus' name because that's not how he prayed for his enemies as they were torturing him to death. He prayed for them. And he didn't pray that God would hate them. He didn't pray that God would kill them. He prayed that God would love them and forgive them and accept them. Isn't that crazy? He prayed for their eternal life while they were taking his life. And that is hard for me to understand. It's, that's counterintuitive, right? It's hard for me to understand it's hard for me to accept. But do you know what's even harder for me to accept is that when he prayed for his enemies, he was praying for me. Romans 5.10 says, right up until the time that Jesus reconciled me to God, I was God's enemy. I was God's enemy. I was God's 
enemy. And it's true. Because I'm the one that killed his son. Of course I'm his enemy. My sin is what made it necessary for Jesus to die. And so every time I've chosen my way instead of his way, and every time I've lied or cheated or been full of pride, that was just one more swing of that whip that ripped all the meat out of Jesus' back. And every time that I've been full of anger or hatred or that I've judged somebody or that I've insulted somebody created in his image, that was one more blow from that hammer that was driving those stakes into his hands and his feet and tearing his flesh and crushing his ligaments and his bones. It wasn't just the Roman soldiers that killed Jesus. It was me. And when he prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He wasn't just praying for them. He was praying for me. So when I say I can't love people that have hurt me, I can't possibly pray for people who have done these terrible things, what I'm saying is I deserve that grace. I deserve that mercy. I deserve that agape. But they don't. And Jesus should be willing to die out of love for me but I refuse to share that love with these people because I'm good and they're bad. And it's, man, it's hard when people are really, it's hard when people are really acting bad, isn't it? And you know, when our enemies seem so wrong and so evil, it's like, how, how can we love them? Like, where do we find that capacity? You know, I, it's got to be supernatural, but how do, we, how do we tap into that? And Jesus actually gives us a clue here. He says, love your enemies, pray for those who hurt you. This is verse 45. He says, and in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Here's a weird verse. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. So Jesus is using God as a standard of what agape love looks like, and that's what a lot of the New Testament writers do. They're using God as the standard. In fact, 1 John 4, 16 says God is love. God is love. Can you guess which kind of love it is? Yeah, agape. It says as we live in him, our love is perfected. God is agape. God's nature, his character is that he chooses to love people and bless people who are his enemies while they're killing his son. And he probably doesn't feel like warm and fuzzy for them, but he, he chooses to develop an attitude towards him of acceptance and of agape, and he chooses to act on that attitude, and he chooses to bless them with life-giving sunshine and rain and a chance through Jesus to be adopted into his family. That's agape, and that's, that's our Father. That's our Father. And those people that we hate so much because they look different or they act different or they believe different 
or they know less than we do, or they have inferior political beliefs to ours. Even the ones that this passage calls evil, evil, they're, they're the same as us. They're God's children, created in his image, who have failed way too much for Jesus to die for. And he did it anyway. This, sto- this weekend we were at the men's retreat. We're talking about the story of the prodigal son. It's like everybody's favorite story, right? I love that story because that story reminds me that God loves me and that he waited for me and that he ran to me when I was lost, when I was living like a pig. I think we love that story and we all relate to that son. But too often we act like that older brother that nobody talks about and we feel like we deserve grace and sacrifice and blessing and mercy and agape from our father but our brothers don't. And I think this talk about God sending sun and rain and blessings to the good kids and the bad kids is to remind us that these evil people that we call enemies are our brothers and our sisters under God. And he sees their failures and ours. And he sees that they're broken, just like us. And he sees that their only hope is Jesus. And so is ours. So I don't think Jesus is saying that we have to develop a warm, fuzzy feeling for our enemies. He's saying, as you're empowered by living in him, choose to see them the way the Father sees them. Choose to see them the way the Father sees us. Choose to see them as brothers and sisters, and to really act agape, right? To really act in love towards them and to pray for them, even when they hurt us. And that, man, how hard is that? It's, it's just hard, but honestly, if we don't, we're not really showing much family resemblance to our Father, right? If we don't, we're really looking a lot more like the people that we're calling enemies. That's what he says in verse 46. If you love only those that love you, what reward is there in that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're only kind to your friends, how are you different than anybody else? Even pagans do that. Even broken, lost heathens are nice to the people that they like. What, what separates citizens of the kingdom of God from the people of this world is this weird agape love that we have for our enemies. Even the Roman soldier that humiliates and oppresses and hurts us. Even the person that's suing us in court. Even the one that hurts us and lies about us. Even our political opponents that are so wrong and say and do such horrible things. Like, man, I'm telling you, this is a hard one this week. Jesus is raising the bar And he is asking, I always like to think about, oh man, the Old Testament was so hard. They had 600 laws, that's so hard. It's so easy in the New Testament, we just have two. You know, it's such a, it's so much easier. But man, Jesus just keeps doing this thing where he says, yeah, the law says this, but I'm saying this. He's asking us a really hard question. And the question is, Do we want our enemies 
in business or in politics or enemies in other countries or religious enemies, oh, Muslims and Hindus and angry atheists. I mean, do we want people who look and act and believe differently than us? Do we want our LGBTQ brothers and sisters? Do we want the opposing political party to come home and experience the grace and love of Jesus? Do we want that? Or do we just want to win? and feel superior. As children of God, we should imitate our Father. And He, agape, He loves and He blesses His enemies, like me, who killed His son. We should be, that's, that's the aspiration, right? That's what we're reaching for. Look at verse 48, He says, you're to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I think we hear that word perfect, and it's like, oh, I'm out, right? I can't, that's not gonna work for me. I, I'm, I'm, that, I, get a, I get a pass on this one. But this word perfect is an interesting word. It's a lot less about being flawless, and it's a lot more about being complete. It's a lot more about being mature. It's a lot more about being perfected. A good translation there would be to say, you are to be perfected. That's, that's the process we're in, right? It's, it's sanctification. It's being made more and more perfect. It's being made more and more like Jesus. And I think we want that, and we want to, in a lot of stuff, we want to see sex and marriage the way Jesus does, right? We want to deal with anger the way Jesus does. We want to be good and moral like Jesus is. But man, this one's hard to, to reject revenge and to really love our enemies with agape love, even pray for them. It's hard. It's, it's counterintuitive. I'll say without Christ in us, it's probably impossible. So you ever wonder, like, why? He didn't tell me, but I'm guessing a little. Like, why, what's the upside, right? Why, why, why would he ask us to really love somebody that hates us, that hurts us, and that humiliates us? What, what's the benefit to that? Why did Jesus model that? And why does Jesus call us to it? I think it's to give our broken, lost brothers a chance. I think it's to call home our prodigal brothers and our prodigal sisters. Um, John 13, 34, Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Guess what kind of love it is? Agape. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Why? He says, verse 35, your love for one another will show the world that you're my disciples. This idea is that our prodigal, broken brothers will see the love of Jesus in me and be drawn to it. That's, that's his plan to populate the kingdom. We're his plan to populate the kingdom. So when we're attacked or hurt or humiliated or opposed by enemies that look different or think different or act different or believe different or even, even people that hate us, we have to ask ourselves, do I want them to experience the love of Jesus? Or would I prefer to strike back and to counterattack and to win? And the natural thing, the intuitive thing is to fight back and win. And if it hurts them, all the better, right? But Jesus calls us to do what's counterintuitive. 
He calls us to do what feels so weird and so backwards. He calls us to see them as children of God and show such love to them that they're actually drawn to God through us. So, I don't know, man. There, there it is. That's Jesus just doing Jesus. You know, he's, he's calling us to a higher plane than just the law. He's calling us to be like him. He's calling us to be citizens of the kingdom of God where everything is weird and everything's counterintuitive and upside down. And I don't know how to like soften this one up for us. It's, it's hard. Um, and that's why we need his teaching. And that's why we need his model. And that's why we need his spirit inside us. And that's why Mike said last week, man, we, we better charge up. We better charge up with the, with the joy of the Lord. We better regain perspective on what Jesus did for us. And we better find some fun in our lives. And we better laugh and enjoy our relationships with each other and our relationships with Jesus. Because those things charge us up. And those things empower us to do the impossible things that he calls us to do as citizens of the kingdom of God. Even this one. Even loving our enemies. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, wow, thank you for including us in your plan. I don't know why you chose to draw people to you through us, but that you're the king, man. That's your plan. And so we submit to that and we honor that. And we want to be part of that. So thank you for including us in your plan. And you are calling us to something that is so weird and upside down and hard for us today. But Lord, just let it sink into us. You know, you model it perfectly for us. But show us what it is to really love, not just to feel good about it, to really love the people that disagree with us or that look different or act different or believe different or even people that hate us. Show us what it really is to love them, to show love to them, to bless them. Show us what it is. And then we really need your help to empower us to do it, to empower us to truly, truly love those people. We, we thank you for your teaching and thank you for your model of this and thank you for filling us with your spirit because we know that through you, all things are possible. So will you please help us to do this impossibly hard thing that you've called us to do? Help us to forego revenge. Help us to reject revenge. Help us to truly, truly love our neighbor. And like we learned last week, show us how to charge up. Show us how to enjoy and laugh and, and participate in relationships with you and with each other so that we can be inspired and charged up and empowered to do this thing. In Jesus' name, amen.